startup for startup. Sharing knowledge, experience and insights from one startup to another. Hi everyone, I'm Danny Lester. Thanks for joining. A company's workforce is one of its biggest assets. Some might say their biggest asset of all. But whether it's the biggest or just big, uh, I'm not going to get into this argument. We can all simply agree that it's fundamental in every organization, whether a small startup or a huge corporation. However, according to Professor Peter Capelli, the director of the Human Resources Center, part of the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, the fact hiring is fundamental doesn't necessarily ensure it will be treated as such. You know, we all talk about it being fundamental. What interested me about it is how bad we are at it, given that we say it's so important. We don't take it seriously. We don't do it very well. Uh, and that's why I got interested in, in, uh, in writing about it. And Professor Capelli knows what he's talking about. In 2019, he was named by HR Magazine as one of the most influential management thinkers. You can find his articles in the Wall Street Journal, HR Executive Magazine and Harvard Business Review. I must say, I totally get why leaders are not doing it very well, as Professor Capelli phrased it. Whilst working on this episode, I realised just how complex the hiring manager position is. It's a crucial part of the job, although it's not the forte of most team leads. After all, this is the field of the recruiter. It's HR stuff. And yet, the importance of the hiring manager in the recruitment process is huge. It can't be done well without them. So what are the hiring managers there for? And how can they do their part well? We can define the hiring manager's goal quite simply. Identify the candidate that has the perfect cocktail of culture, skills and experience that we're looking for. But how can we get to and identify the candidate that has the exact combination we're looking to find? Well, it all starts from the same point. Meet Nir Fogel, Client Services Group Manager at Monday.com. He has over 10 years of experience at this. So we're talking about uh, a role for um, Solution Architect, for example. This is a new role we just, uh, we just came up with. So the process is, first of all, internally within my group, we sit together and we try to understand what exactly we want that person to, uh, to do and what, uh, what kind of like... Uh, skills we are looking for and we try to kind of like brainstorm internally and we put it into writing. We do the same in every role that we open, not only in the customer success group. Jessica Saronich, who has four years of experience as a hiring manager, currently leads the operations in Monday's US offices. She shared with me some of the questions she tries to answer in this early stage of defining the need. What do you envision that they will do every day? Um, what can this person expect in their first year of working here? And these targeted questions changed my entire perspective and really helped me just lean in directly to all those things that I was having question marks about. We kind of like draft a job description and then we reach out to the HR uh, for like 
two different uh, processes. One is take care of bureaucracy like salary, compensation package, etc. As hiring managers, though, we better focus on the other part. To start thinking about the hiring uh, part. And for the hiring part, we have both both the HR uh, business partner and the recorder. Um, And we send them the draft of the job description and we set up a kickoff call where we basically have like a long conversation where we pass all the information. The one who might show up to this kind of kickoff meeting is Kim, also known as Kimberly Singh, a talent acquisition team lead at Monday.com. Kim, just so you know, wasn't alone during our interview. I'm so sorry. I have like three dogs and they're so loud. When she isn't trying to shush her dogs, one of them is 17. Kim is busy finding the right people for the job. Part of this mission involves directing the hiring managers to what they need for the role, and more importantly, what they don't. When we talk about that, we really talk about like, what are the missing pieces? Why is this person necessary? Um, I also like to ask like where we want the candidate to be at 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and a year, right? So what is that immediate impact that we're looking for from that person? And what is that longer term impact that we're looking for with that person? Um, So those are really important questions that we ask during the intake. And the thing to bear in mind is that every additional thing you want costs you money, right? So you want somebody with seven years experience versus three years? Okay, you're going to pay for that, right? Why do you need seven years experience? This is what recruiters, good recruiters do for employers is they push back on that. They say, you don't need that. You don't need 10 years, right? Well, it would be nice to have somebody who, nice, you want to pay for nice? There are lots of other things that are nice. You don't have nice office furniture. Do you want that? I mean, you know, do you want to spend your money on this, right? Defining our needs leads us to a clear scorecard that will help us stay focused during the next steps in the process. We'll have like team player and collaboration, uh, being proactive. Another one could be like technical skill, for example, client facing experience. So those are definitely some things that we've used in the past. Nir Fogel, the CS group manager you've already met, often tailors each interview to examine different aspects of his scorecard. Uh, so if we have a list of like six, seven, eight important skills that we want to look for, usually what we do is split them between the interviews. So we say, okay, the first interview will be focused on one, two, and three, and the second interview will be focused on four, five, and six. And of course, it's not like uh, black and white, and there is an overlap between, between those interviews, but the focus is very clear. What does it mean to focus on something during the interview? What kind of questions should we ask as hiring managers? Well, for a start, both Kim and Professor Capelli agree that hiring managers shouldn't ask about hypotheticals. Don't ask them questions unless it is about their prior experience, because those are the only questions that predict anything. And don't ask them questions that they know are coming because they've got prepared answers for that. So I think the most important thing is to ask for specific examples, kind of like how you have during this interview. So you want to ask them questions where they don't have a prepared answer and where you know what a good answer would be. So when you ask a question, if you don't know what a good answer to that would be, don't ask it. Once we know the skills that we are looking for. We try to think together, uh, like all the interviewers in one room, we try to kind of brainstorm what kind of questions we can ask 
it will allow us to address those skills and to evaluate them and what kind of answers we expect to get um, in order to do that. In the interviewer training, we also do kind of like a simulation. So we try to ask the question, get the answers and try to understand how, how the answer uh, sounds like, what we can learn from different types of answers. Um, so this is the way we prepare ourselves from, uh, for an interview. And of course, before an interview, we always read the notes from previous interviews. We try to understand if there are specific areas where we want to drill down into and we get some idea uh, about the candidate so we can, uh, we can continue from where the other interview uh, stopped. Professor Capelli highly recommends talking with people who have worked with your candidate prior to the interview. I tried to challenge the professor and tell him that his suggestion was very time consuming. After all, Professor Capelli told me himself about research from Glassdoor that found the amount of time employers spend on interviews has almost doubled since 2009. However, Professor Capelli was stubborn about the value this pre-interview research has on the process. Ideally, what you want to do is find somebody you know who knows them. Their references are people who they know like them and are going to try to help them, not you. So, you know, you could talk to those people. You probably should. And what you want to do in those conversations is to find out the kind of questions to ask the person in an interview. So you're not going to rely on the uh, references to say, hire this guy. They're all going to hire, say yes, because that's why the candidate gave them to you. But you're going to say, you know, tell me what guy did in this job. What would you say was his biggest project that he worked on, right? And tell me a little bit about that project. So then you want to ask him questions about what he did in that project that you already know that he worked on, right? So then you're going to ask Guy these questions about, I understand you worked on the following project uh, and that uh, on this project, the big challenge was this. Tell me about that challenge. Uh, tell me a little about why it was hard. Whilst culture fit is a field where the recruiter can add their input and expertise, the responsibility of making sure the candidate's skills fit the role lies with the hiring manager. We don't expect our HR to know all of the technicalities about the IT role we're hiring for, so it's on us as hiring managers to know what to look for on the professional side. Kim has some tips on how to approach it. A lot of times... Um, I'll ask them to check their bias a little bit, right? So if you see someone coming from like a really great company, are you sure it's a really great company? Or if you just heard that reputation, what is the makeup of that company? And it's important to give people chances. So especially in the beginning of opening a role, I like will cast a wider net with the people I'm talking to just to get a sense of the actual skill set we're looking for. Um, like maybe we're saying that we need like five years of experience working with like API integrations in the workplace. Maybe that's not necessary. Maybe we have someone who's like taken a couple of courses on how API integrations work. They've done some projects on the side and they have really great client facing skill. That could be a star player for us in three months, right? Someone who's again, really excited about Monday to learn, really open to feedback. Um, I think those can be a little bit more important than those hard technical skills. 
When talking about the skills needed for a certain role, it's important to keep in mind that some skills are transferable. Being a high school teacher, for example, has nothing to do with customer experience, right? And yet, it requires a lot of patience and presentation skills that can be useful in this kind of job. To make our lives easier, we better look for these transferable skills. Obviously, the interview is not solely about the candidate's skills. As a matter of fact, the interview often focuses more on figuring out the culture fit of the candidate. In terms of collaboration, sometimes we'll ask more questions about team projects, like, um, can you tell me about a process or a workflow that you've put into place? You know, um, who did you work with to put that together? Like, who did you share it with? Those are some questions around collaboration. The next thing I ask a lot of in my interviews is, um, tell me about how you interact with your peers at your current role. Have you given your peers any feedback? Have your peers given any feedback to you? What's annoying about interviewing is getting to a candidate who seems to have all of the right answers. You can't say for sure if it's an honest good answer or if they simply answer it correctly because they think it's the right thing to say. There's no doubt that as hiring managers, these interviewees are particularly challenging. Nir Vogel has interviewed quite a few of these. In many cases, we, uh, it's, it's a lot about how we ask the question. And I think uh, in, in an interview, it's always a process where the candidates, they, they tell us what uh, we, they think we want to hear and they tell us only what they want us to know. And we are trying to do the opposite. We're trying to kind of like look behind it and look deeper uh, into it. And that's definitely the art of being an interviewer. And I think uh, it's, it's a lot about the way we ask the question, um, trying not to lead the candidate too much to uh, one direction and kind of like ask broader questions and see how they look at it. And also as an interviewer, you always need to kind of like be in that mode of like trying when you kind of like find something that is interesting, trying to drill down into it and, uh, and get into the, the roots uh, of that specific topic if you find that this is like uh, an interesting area of the personality of the candidate or the skills. So I think that if you, if you kind of like find those hints of like problems or holes in the story or things like that, if you drill down into it, eventually uh, you'll find what you want to, what you want to find. You know, if you, if you ask someone, tell me about a project that you worked on. What was it and was it successful? And the candidate says, yeah, I, I was really excited about this project. We installed TV monitors all through the office and it was good. It went well, right? Like that's a good answer. And I could say, okay, but it's my job as the interviewer to lean in and say, who asked you to install the TV screens? What vendors did you use? How long did it take? Did you finish on time? You know, just uncovering when they say it was good, what was good about it? What made it good? And flipping over the, the rock and getting in there and, and really not allowing a vague answer, but looking for specifics and mixing up the questions as well that, that are being asked in the particular interview. I think a lot of times it'll come down to talking about those projects they've worked on in the past or a time when they had to work with teammates to get something over the finish line. 
There's a specific culture-oriented question that both Jessica and Kim love. This is a question I learned from the the HR training and HR shadowing that I did, but the question is about their favorite peer. So during the interview process, um, I'll ask them like, who's your favorite peer? Um, and can you share their name with me? Then what's one quality the two of you share? Um, then if you could give them one quality from yourself, what would that be? And if you could borrow one quality from them, what would that be? And usually the answer is so insightful because when the person answers, they're not necessarily speaking about what they lack. It's not a trick question. You know, if they say, oh, Julie's outspoken, it doesn't mean that this candidate is shy, right? It's not correlated like that. It just means that, you know, the candidate honors and recognizes and appreciates peers who are outspoken. And it's something that they respect. And then I asked the opposite. What's the quality you would take from yourself and give to Julie? And this answer is also very insightful. And I think a lot of times that's demonstrated how team-oriented that person is. Like when they're really excited to talk about their teammate and they're like, I love this person. Like they are like so amazing. I really want to learn this from them. I think you see that like hunger to learn, but also like how happy they are to be a part of that team. Um, Really love that question. I think candidates really like that question too. Questions are not enough, though. We've talked a lot about what we can get from interviews, but even an experienced hiring manager won't get the full picture out of three or four interviews. If you ask me, even 10 interviews wouldn't be enough. It's not about the quantity, but simply the format. I think a very important part is to understand that the interview is not a perfect kind of like stage or environment to address everything and we need to combine different techniques. This is our dear near Fogel again. Uh, One of them is the task that we are doing. That is, we are doing the same task for the candidates and we can compare those candidates. So I think the task is a very important part that is not just based on open conversation between the interviewer and the interviewee. And it's based on like a process that was uh, defined before. For example, if we um, talked about Um, delivery manager, uh, we have a delivery manager position. So we know that that person should be uh, focused on project management. So we know that we want to see how that uh, uh, individual is looking at project management, how they kind of like take a big problem and break it down into uh, smaller problems, organize it on a timeline. So we know that the task should be related to that. And then we start thinking about what kind of task we can uh, we can build and drill down into the relevant skills that are important for us. The task is a classic stage to ruin the candidate's experience in. Kim found herself going over quite a few tasks and sending them back with clear notes. I would say um, clear instructions, clear resources, um, and a clear sense of how long it should take you to complete it. Um, so they know the kind of commitment they're making to that. Um, I think in the past, sometimes we've done like very long tasks and people have withdrawn from the process, for example. So having like a succinct task is really important to keeping people in process. Jessica created quite a few different tasks since she was hiring for different roles that each required different skills. She often makes scenario tasks like this one. 
Employee number one is complaining that the office is too hot. Employee number two is complaining that the office is too cold. What do you say to both team members? And for this, I just wanted to understand, uh, do they know how to set expectations with their peers? You know, what do, what do they do to problem solve? Do they open a window and, or do they bring a blanket? And I remember one candidate who was the one who joined the team said, employee number one will be brought a fan and a cup of ice cold water. Employee number two will be brought a branded Snuggie and a space heater, you know? So I loved this because I was able to see just the enthusiasm, the above and beyond mentality. But I think the most important part here is to uh, get the feedback from the candidates. So when the task is being sent to the candidate, then we need to make sure that the, the candidate feel, uh, feels comfortable to work on the task. This is an important point Niz raising. Sometimes the back and forth between hiring managers and recruiters is not enough. And only after getting feedback from your candidates, you realize you better make some adjustments to the task. There was one assignment they sent to customer success candidates, in which the made-up client had a marketing use case that they needed help with. But there was one tiny issue with this task. And then we realized that people that come from a background of marketing, they have an advantage. They, they come much more prepared. They know how to speak the language of the use case, and they have an advantage. Uh, then we kind of like got that feedback from a few candidates, and we... Uh, realize that we need to make a change. Then we came with like uh, a, diff a few different options for the candidates so they can choose from and also gave them the option to um, go freestyle and choose the process that they want to work on. Let me tell you, as someone who did this exact task for my own interview, having previous marketing experience myself definitely didn't hurt. But let's keep that between us. The task can also be used to replicate what the day-to-day -day work would look like in the role. For the customer experience task, for example, they changed the task to a support ticket simulation. They basically created tickets of different kinds and checked how well the candidates dealt with not-so-common requests, as well as some more classic ones. I was laughing pretty hard at one of them, where it was just like, please help me, I need assistance now, like in all caps, which is definitely something you would get from a customer. Um, so I think like making the task more realistic to what the customer experience advocate would experience when they joined here was really helpful. So like one, it tests their skill set, but two, it also set expectations of what the role could look like. But it's not enough. If we expect candidates to understand what the role demands based only on the task, we'll most likely pay for that after recruitment. How can you be honest about the job without scaring the candidates? Well, Professor Capelli thinks it's definitely doable. The first thing to do when you're talking to candidates is to remind them that all jobs have their downsides. All companies have their downsides, right? Uh, and here in our company, the difference is we're just going to tell you what they are, right? Uh, we're being honest with you, and if other employers have not told you the downsides, that just means they're hiding them from you, right? So you need to educate the candidates and remind them that there's some value to telling them the truth here. And, you know, you can tell them the downsides in the most positive-sounding way, right? Like, you know, this is not a place with a lot of structure. 
Uh, and that means, on the one hand, you have a lot of opportunity and a lot of control over what you do. That's a good thing. But it doesn't suit everybody, right? And so if that is a problem for you, if you really need a lot of direction, every day you need to be told what to do that day, this is not going to be a good place for you, right? Now, you would hope that before you get to that interview, you might already have some sense about that for a candidate, so it won't surprise them too much. After going through the process, it's decision time. Often, this is not unanimous. Honestly, how can we be 100% certain about someone we've only spent a few hours with? And not only that, many times the candidates don't have everything we wished for. So there's always room for the concern that maybe if we just waited a little longer, someone better will send a CV. Decision time sometimes means compromise time. I definitely think it's great to compromise. I love compromise. I think it's like how we push through a lot of really amazing hires. Um, I think it's important to compromise sometimes on level of experience or if something is coachable or teachable, right? Like if we notice that there's a gap um, in this person's ability to be client facing and do webinars, for example, for CX. Um, webinars is something that's like a later skill for customer experience advocates. They start off with tickets. So is this a coachable aspect? Can we teach them how to do webinars? With training, will they get more confident? This is something that we can work on. So we're done. We've covered defining the needs of the role, the interview, and the task. The three main stages where the hiring manager's part is essential. You hired an employee. Congratulate them, congratulate yourself, and open the champagne. Sorry for ruining the party, but we're not done just yet. There's also a job that needs to be done after your candidate has turned into a team member. Sadly, many companies don't do it. I think the evidence I've seen in US surveys, uh, maybe 25% of companies even collect the data that would allow them to check to see whether they're hiring good people or not. Yeah, well, I guess it's not surprising that in order to become better at hiring, you should conclude based on your past hirings. It requires attention and some work, but if you ask me, the benefit of learning from past hirings is huge. It might be the best way to guarantee you'll become better at recruiting for roles in the future. So how can you do it? After like a month, two and three, we mark the candidates um, and we give them kind of like a initial evaluation of like how it looks. And we kind of like look at the statistics and see where we have problems. The other way is uh, discussions between recruiters and, and managers. So in many cases, we kind of like doing like a review with the recruiter. We review the team, we review the, the latest hires. And so uh, we talk about the really strong employees we have in process and some of the people um, who maybe needed more help, their ramp up was a little bit longer, um, and ways in which we can fine tune the process through interviews um, with that. When we have failures, uh, we go back to the drawing board and we try to understand, okay, what did we do wrong in the, in the hiring process that we, we didn't see uh, the problems that we saw after the, the candidate was uh, hired? 
And then um, also looking at our interview process in general, the amount of time it takes from one stage to another um, to see if we can shorten that. This post-recruitment stage definitely leads us towards fundamental changes in the hiring process. You know, in, in my team, we work very closely with the product. And um, along the way, we realize that uh, uh, candidates we, uh, we get or people we hire are doing amazing on the interview, but the technical part with some of them, we find that um, there is kind of like a, a ceiling in terms of their technical capabilities that they reach. And sometimes that ceiling is too low and it's not good enough. And then we realize that we need to go back and look at the interview and, and find ways to kind of like put more emphasis on the technical part, technical orientation, um, to make sure that we, um, we don't miss that part. And uh, yeah, we, did, we went back and we updated uh, the whole process based on that. All right, now you can celebrate for real. Hallelujah. Oh, wait. Maybe we're not done. Let's say you hired great team members after optimizing your hiring process. Now what? You have a bunch of individuals you feel good about, but the thing is, they're all team members. You see where I'm going with this? Team? Well, you need to make a bunch of individuals into a team. And this is exactly the challenge we'll focus on in the next episode. How to make a team out of individuals. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've just heard, hit the follow button. You're also more than welcome to our LinkedIn group, Startup for Startup, where you'll be able to find more content and potential networking. Another place that deserves your attention is our website, startupforstartup.com. I want to thank Guy Bin Nun, our writer and senior producer. Our crew also has the wonderful Advishes Gal and Daria Wertheim, who are our content editors. Leo Krengel leads the initiative, Yoav Ayalon is our opera singer, and Gal Rodity is our mix engineer alongside Hilly Boy Mel. I'm Danny Lester, more to come, so stay tuned. Mm-hmm.